0: Welcome back to the program. When Hannah Rosen wrote The End of Men, did it also portend the end of fatherhood? There is no question that gender roles have been dramatically changed in the past 50 years. That in almost every measurable metric, women are not just pulling ahead of men, but are surpassing. Yet 50 years of change is no match for almost 2 million years of human evolution. Where these two forces converge, is the reality of modern fatherhood. The scientific, genetic, and evolutionary influence of fathers is powerful and provable. Yet in many ways it runs headlong into popular culture, contemporary role models, and the reality of 21st century family life. My guest Paul Rayburn gets to the heart of this matter in his new book, Do Fathers Matter? Paul Rayburn is the chief media critic for the night science journalism tracker site at MIT. He was formerly the science editor at Business Week in the Associated Press His work has appeared in numerous publications, and it is my pleasure to welcome Paul Rayburn here to talk about Do Fathers Matter? What Science is Telling Us About the Parent We Overlooked. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here, Jeff. Thank you. It's good to have you here. One of the things that is the most striking, I suppose, is taking a look at the evolutionary role of fatherhood in in the long span of human evolution and putting it in the context of where we are today, and it really becomes clear that there are some real disconnects in this?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things. There's the long view, and there's the really, really long view, <laughs> I think. So let me start with the really, really long view. And that is, if you go back, you know, through human prehistory, um, you know, anthropologists and archaeologists have found uh, sites that they've excavated where we see what seem to be family groupings living together. So uh small number of individuals, evidence of children, Uh, and adults, you know, uh, kitchen uh, remains, discarded uh, garbage, and uh, so forth that suggest that, you know, a million or two million years ago, some human ancestors began to form these family groups, or something like family groups, and so the question is, what was the advantage of that? They wouldn't have done it if it didn't have some advantage, and So, uh, you know, it's hard to know, Uh, we can't uh, interview these folks, but uh, the speculation is that, um, you know, fathers may have been able to provide protection um, for their um, wives and uh, children, and, uh, you know, shared duties, many of the things we think about in terms of families now. So this goes back a very, very long way in human history, so it's really... Uh, evolution has woven it into our our being at this point. Uh, then you know, then we we skip up uh, a million years or so to to the long story, um, as opposed to the very long story, and go back to the nineteenth century. So, in the nineteenth century, we also had the same family groupings, but uh, things were a little different. Most families lived on farms, or there might have been shopkeepers in towns and villages, and what was clear uh, in those days was that both parents spent a lot of time with children. In fact, children spent a lot of time with their fathers working, you know, on the farm, in the fields, in the shop, running errands, doing all kinds of things as soon as they were old enough to do so. So kids spent a lot of time with mothers and fathers. And I think we forget that because when the industrial era arose, in the late 19th century, that's when fathers started going up to factories and mothers were home with the children. And that lasted long enough, you know, more than a century, that I think we began to think that that was, that was normal. That was the way it was supposed to be. And in fact, over the long span of human evolution, um, this was just a blip. Um, but we started to formulate our theories about families and about fathers based on the idea that fathers were gone most of the day and mothers were around. And because mothers were with kids so much, and so much more than fathers, the obvious conclusion seemed to be mothers must be much more important to kids than fathers. So we got stuck in a historical period there, and we let, I think we let it cloud our thinking. Now, of course, families are changing. Lots of fathers are at home. Both parents are working for wages outside the home. And so now we've got an opportunity to re-examine those those, uh, faulty assumptions.
0: What we've also had as a result of so much of the research and science of the late 20th century is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because so much of the research, as you talk about, has focused on the role of mothers. We've seen that as the primary influence simply because that's where the primary attention has been focused in the research.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's again, and I think this is um, the the purpose of that short history lesson was to say that, you know, we focused on mothers because mothers were with the kids. And if you look at, uh, there's a little experiment that listeners can do if they like. Um, If you go to PubMed, which is the sort of the card catalog, the online card catalog for the National Library of Medicine, and you put in the word mothers and search for it. Now, the last time I did this, Uh, I think I got something like 250,000 hits for the word mothers, and when I put fathers in, I got about one-tenth as many. So even now, when fathers are clearly more important uh, in a lot of families, um, both at home and at work, uh, we still see, you know, there's a huge amount of research on mothers and a relatively much smaller amount of research on fathers. Um, But that research on fathers turns out to be really interesting and most of it has not reached the public, which is why I saw this as an opportunity to write uh, Do Fathers Matter to bring this research to people who haven't seen it.
0: Was there a fundamental change as a result of of really modern psychiatry and psychology and the influence of Freud, for example? Was that really a turning point in focusing our attention away from fathers?
1: Uh, I, yes, I think so. And, and interestingly, Freud is not the is not the culprit here. Freud, uh, obviously a hugely influential figure, uh, actually you know was the person who um, who persuaded us that things that happened early in our lives with our parents were in fact important later in our lives. We didn't we didn't always know that, and Freud was the one who made a big issue of the fact that uh, childhood experiences, even at very young ages, would affect us throughout our lives. So that was a that was a step forward. But the person who really shaped thinking about mothers and fathers and families was a British uh, psychologist, uh, psychologist or psychiatrist. I can't recall right now, um, but very influential figure named John Bowlby, and uh, he developed something called the attachment theory. And the attachment theory said that you know what was critical for childhood development was you know, close attachment between mother and child in the early hours and weeks um, of life. And this was such a persuasive theory, it really became the dominant theory of the 20th century. In fact, Bowlby was cited in the scientific literature more often than Freud. He's not nearly as well-known in the public, but he was even more influential than Freud. And of course, we now know that that's wrong. Uh, attachment with mothers is, of course, important, as is attachment with fathers. And what's important is that kids have a secure environment. Not, you know, not that mothers are, are so much more important than fathers as some people believe.
0: One of the things that we've had to deal with in certainly the recent debate about this is the sense of this being a zero-sum game. That if we talk about the influence of fathers, that it is, it is in some way taking away from the influence of mothers, and that's not the case at all, as the research shows.
1: Yes, that, that, that's right. Um, what the, the research began, what I call the new science of fatherhood, began in the, in the late 70s. And I, I think it's a little bit shocking that it's only, you know, a generation ago or so that this research began. And one of the first things that was discovered is, is the one piece of father's research that I think a lot of people know about and that is the idea that fathers play with their kids differently than mothers do. So, you know, on average, fathers are more likely than mothers to roll around on the floor with their kids and tickle them and uh, surprise them and engage in, you know, unpredictable behavior with the kids and so forth. And, uh again, we take this for granted now. I think most of us know this. But somebody had to look at families in an organized way and figure this out. And that was uh, uh, another British a psychologist named uh, Michael Lamb. And uh, he looked at this, found this very interesting phenomenon. He's, he's a person I call the father of fatherhood research. Uh, he's really done an enormous amount to promote um, research on fathers. So that was the first thing to role to play. And then in the 80s, things gradually picked up. There was a little bit more research. People got interested in fathers. People started to question... Bobby's attachment theory, and then it has gradually increased ever since, to the point that now there's a substantial scientific interest in fathers, but it it has taken this long for that to happen.
0: Talk a little bit about some of the research, what it has shown in terms of the importance of fathers in childhood development.
1: Well, it begins uh, at a time when we might think fathers had had no role in child development, and, and that is during their partner's pregnancy. So this seems to be the one time the fathers are pretty much forced to stand on the sidelines because they don't have any role in in pregnancy or at least that's what we thought that was so obvious who would question that uh... but a few people did question that and it turns out that fathers are far from uh... uh, innocent bystanders (laughs) when their spouses or partners are pregnant um... fathers who uh... well we know that mothers undergo a lot of hormonal changes during pregnancy what is now clear is that fathers go through their own set of very uh, dynamic um, hormonal changes too. Um, fathers experience a sharp drop in testosterone during their partner's pregnancy. This is assuming the two are together and spending time together. And um, they also experience a rise in a, hormo- a hormone called prolactin, which is associated with nursing in mothers. You wouldn't, therefore, expect it to have an important role in fathers, but it does. And the, the combination of these things and some other changes suggests that biology is preparing men to be fathers. So testosterone is associated with competitiveness and aggression and those kinds of things. Um, when testosterone falls, thinking is that's making men a little bit more nurturing and more emotionally available to their children, preparing them to be fathers. So this begins in pregnancy. There are also some interesting statistics and correlations. Uh, infants whose fathers are not involved, in the pregnancy are more likely to be born prematurely and more likely to be born with a low birth rate. Both of these are, you know, present various health risks to those kids. So it turns out a father is very important even beginning before his children are born.
0: When we look at the impact in other species, what do we learn from that in terms of the role of fathers?
1: Well, I think, um, so we learn, one of the first things we learn is that humans are quite unusual. So if we look at, uh, you know, in, in, in most animals, fathers have no involvement with the offspring other than contributing the DNA um, at a certain point, you know, as an initial point. Um, if we look at mammals, who are closer relatives, basically furry critters of, of one sort or another, um, We see there, too, that uh, most fathers uh, contribute their DNA and take off. We do see in some species of monkeys that fathers will remain with a group uh, in which there are females with whom they've they've mated. So that's a little bit of a role for fathers there. But there are only a very small number, about 5% of mammals uh, have fathers who stick around and help with the offspring and that is a very interesting one that um, I ran across in a research for do father's matter which is the kitty monkey that's P-I-T-I kitty monkey <laughs> who's a little guy and uh, he gains a considerable amount of weight while the female is pregnant now I'll, I'll interrupt myself for a minute here to say that we know that this can happen in human males too some men gain a lot of weight during their partner's pregnancy and some men even experience symptoms of morning sickness and so this, um, you know, we don't know exactly the cause of these things, but it, again, it speaks to that physical tie between males and females during pregnancy. So in these kitty monkeys, they gain an enormous amount of weight while their partners are pregnant. And the reason is that when the offspring are born, and they're four right before five or six in a, in a group, um, when they are not nursing with their mother, they are almost continuously on their father's back. And they cling to his back, and he carries them around everywhere and uh, and doesn't take them back to the female until it's time for nursing again. So these monkeys lose about 40% of their weight during the early period of their offspring's lives. And if they didn't gain that weight during pregnancy, they'd probably waste away to nothing. So it's just an interesting example. A lot of these father's examples from animals are interesting and amusing. I, I found it a lot of fun to, to, start, uh, to research those and write about them. Uh, but they also tell us interesting things about human fathers because there are many parallels, and this weight gain in these monkeys is, is just one example of many like that.
0: There are also areas, specific areas where fathers' influence is particularly profound according to some of this newer research in areas like vocabulary, the onset of puberty, and some other areas. Talk about those.
1: Well, yeah, so I'll talk about uh, the, the ones you mentioned. Um, uh, so language development begins, you know, after, I don't know, after about a year, kids are about a year old, 15 months, somewhere in that neighborhood, and, you know, they imitate sounds, and we know things that, a few things about this. We know that families, which parents are more educated, kids are going to have more rapid um, language development. That doesn't come as a huge surprise if parents have a larger vocabulary, children will have one, two. Um, But what's interesting is looking, you know, some researchers at the University of North Carolina have recently looked at the differences between fathers' and mothers' influence. Now, you might guess that mothers had more influence on children's language development. They still, in most families, spend more time with the kids, Um, even in families where both parents work for wages outside the home. Mothers generally spend more time with the kids. Um, So the researchers looked at the two separately, and what they found was exactly the opposite. Fathers uh, and their involvement with their kids is a strong predictor of the kids' language development. So the fathers spend time with the kids, they talk to the kids, um, and the kids uh, develop language faster. This has huge advantages, not just that they can develop uh, their ability to speak more quickly, but this eases the transition to school, which is a very important point for kids, and it is correlated with better performance in elementary school. It's even correlated with fewer behavioral problems in elementary school, which I thought was amazing. And uh, when the researchers looked at the influence of mothers, they found no effect of mothers' behavior on children's language development. So this was mysterious and interesting. And the explanation is um, that mothers tend to tune their vocabulary to what the kids know. So they, you know, they meet the kids in the middle, so to speak. They know what words the kids understand, and they, and they favor those words. Fathers, for whatever reason, don't do that. They tend to use their normal vocabulary or more of it when speaking with kids. We're not saying that fathers have a bigger vocabulary than mothers, just that they use more of it with their children, and that pulls the kids and stretches them and pulls them along so their language ability develops. More quickly and that, that was one of the many interesting surprises that I write about in the book And what' end? oh teenage daughters I think you asked right. me about so again to look at a different a different life cycle with um, with children um, we look at you know another important point like the transition to school another one of course is puberty in kids and um, this is a huge step on the way from childhood to adulthood and what researchers have found when they looked at this is that if If a father is not present in the home, when a young girl reaches this, um, you know, a a young teenager, almost teen, uh, on the end of puberty, that those girls where a father is not present enter puberty significantly earlier than girls where a father is present. Um, And that has also has unfortunate correlations. Those girls are more likely to engage in risky sexual behavior and... They are more likely to become pregnant as teenagers, and we know that both of those things can uh, make it difficult for a, uh, a girl or a young woman to get established. And they're things we hope to avoid. So, having father in the home of teenage girls is a very strong protector against risky sexual behavior and teenage pregnancy. So, so, so that's the science. You know, I try to distinguish between the science and the speculation. So, that's the science. When fathers are not there, these things happen. So the speculation is, why did that happen? And it, it, again, it's kind of an evolutionary argument. The idea is that uh, when daughters feel that they're in a secure environment, they have no need to, to rush to mature sexually and to leave the family and find their own families. If the father is not present and daughters sense that it's an unsafe environment, uh, evolution has equipped them with the biological means to mature more quickly, mature sexually more quickly, uh, and to be ready to reproduce, so to speak, and to move out of the family and start their own families in the hope that that might be more secure. Now, again, this is not a psychological thing. This is not uh, because the father's not there to talk to his daughter or give her advice. It's nothing like that. This is biology. So a woman, young girl, cannot control in any respect when she's going to enter puberty, but something about these circumstances does affect that. And one guess is that maybe it has to do with the father's sense, that pheromones he releases um, are picked up by the daughter and may govern um, the timing of puberty. So we don't know that yet, and people are looking at that. But I thought that was a really interesting mm-hmm. connection, even if you know it's kind of a frightening and kind of a sad one, especially when we think about how many families are divorced and how many families' fathers are not around.
0: To the extent that there is a psychological overlay to all of this as we're talking about, and that we're still learning more about the mind-body connection and the influence of the psychology on the physiological aspects of this, has the way fathers have been portrayed in popular culture and the attitude towards fathers that we've seen over the past 20, 30 years, has that had a psychological and then arguably some kind of physiological influence of late.
1: Yeah, I, I, Yes, I, um, psychological for sure. Physiological, I, I'm not sure, but I can tell you about the psychological um, aspects. As, as any number of researchers have pointed out, if you tell others often enough and with great enough intensity that, that they're not too important to their kids, they're going to come to believe it. And I think that's what happened. For a long time, Fathers were told that you know their their role was to bring home you know the money to support the family. That, that that's an important thing, by the way. We shouldn't discount that. The poverty is by far the most devastating thing that can happen to a child. Um, and so fathers who keep their kids out of poverty are, are doing a wonderful thing, though that's often taken for granted. But you know, in terms of all these other contributions of fathers that we're talking about, and, and many more that I have in my book that we won't have time to talk about. Um, the, the, the you know, fathers were, you know, many fathers were persuaded they weren't so important. And you can you can see this reflected. I have some examples in the book of um, television commercials, which I think are, are a great uh, indicator mm-hmm. of popular culture. And uh, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, Huggies Diapers ran commercials that said, you know, we have tough new diapers and, and we're going to really put the, these diapers to the test. We're going to give them to fathers, you know, as if giving diapers to fathers was like, uh, you know, sending a, uh, a, a four-wheel drive car up a mountain to see how good the traction was. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst possible challenge, you know. Um, needless to say, um, if that ad had run, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, I might not have had a reaction, but since it was recent, a lot of fathers and a lot of others reacted uh, very strongly. And so this is just not a picture of uh, fathers today and Huggies quickly... Pull those ads down and, and apologize. Now, to look for something on the other side of the coin, there've been a series of Subaru commercials, and um, one that I that comes to mind uh, for me is one in which a father is handing keys into the mm-hmm. into the to, the to the window into a his daughter driving a car, and we see in the car um, a little girl sitting behind the wheel. She can't see over the steering wheel. And he's handing her the car's the keys, and he's saying, now you be careful, you know, I want you home at a certain time, and and then we look at the girl again, and it's a teenage girl who's clearly just learned to drive, but the father still sees her as a little girl and wants to protect, and it's a very emotional and nice uh, commercial that shows the connection between a father and a, and a daughter, so that shows how things are changing. I think Madison Avenue is very hip to... Uh, cultural shifts and changes because they want to capitalize on those things, And uh, they're giving us a bit of a record here on how things are changing in terms of popular perception of fathers.
0: The other thing that we're seeing with respect to certainly part of the population is fatherhood taking place with, with men that are a little bit older, and that seems to be making some kind of a difference.
1: Yes. This is a more common phenomenon. It's hard to get good statistics on this, but I was able to talk to a number of people, and it's pretty clear that there is a greater number of older fathers. certainly would, would look that way if we look around us, and, and the evidence that there is suggests that's true. So older fathers have uh, some advantages uh, for children. Older fathers tend to be a little more financially secure than younger fathers. Um, they sometimes have more time to spend with their children because they're a little bit more secure in their careers. And so those are, those are good things. Unfortunately, there's a downside to being an older father, and I, and I am an older father myself, so I'm, I'm certainly not pointing fingers at anybody who's made the same decision. But um, older men, we, we know that older women have an increased risk of having kids with Down syndrome. This has become a widely known thing, and many women are, uh, have, you know, are tested for that, and they, they, they make a lot of uh, different decisions about how to respond to that risk. Um, It's now clear that as men age, they also have an increasing risk of having children with Down syndrome. The difference is nobody knew this, and even those who did know it did nothing to inform fathers about it. Uh, What's more, older fathers also have an increasing risk of having children with autism and an increasing risk of having children with schizophrenia. Now, these are very serious illnesses. And um, genetic counselors who might be in a position to tell some fathers about these risks um, are pretty dismissive. I, I was amazed um, that they don't think this is so important. And many of many of them, I mean, this is the profession that warns people about genetic risks to, to kids. Many of them aren't even aware of this. I met one friend of a friend not long ago, and I said, "Oh, I've written a lot about you know the risks to older fathers." She goes, "Really? What are they?" Um, so this is uh, something I think they need to know much more about, and I lay out the entire story and the research in New Fathers Matter to explain uh, what the risks are and why they occur, but I, I really think this is an important message for older fathers. You know there are a lot of things that they want to consider when they're deciding to have children, but this ought to be one of the things that they consider in that mix.
0: Is science looking for some kind of a silver bullet with respect to the importance of fathers something that with respect to fatherhood, is as important as attachment theory once was with regard to mothers?
1: I don't know that there's a silver bullet. I didn't find any research to suggest that. I think many people have discarded attachment theory now. Hopefully, we will not let that pen- pendulum swing back the other way and, and, and create too much importance for fathers. You know, Ideally, um, I know that many families don't fit this description, but ideally, the two parents do different things they work together, and when that happens, you know, children have the best shot at developing normally and, health, and being healthy and, and successful, and, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, human families have existed that way, as we discussed earlier, for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, and uh, so, you know, that's what we evolved to be. That's the system that evolution gave us to give our children the best uh, chances. Now... Society is complicated. We have many, many uh, single mother families, some single father families. We have um, uh, gay and lesbian families. All kinds of things. And I, I don't want to be misconstrued uh, into in having people think that um, that these families can't raise healthy and happy kids. They can, um, and, and in fact, a lot of research shows that they can. So that's not an issue. What it, What is an issue, I think, is that if these people look at the research that I've written about and see what fathers contribute, they can then um, uh, compensate or look for ways to, you know, maybe do some things a little differently with their children to make up for uh, what might be missing uh, when there's not a father in the family and present in the home. So I, I think that this research should be helpful to, uh, to everyone, not just, you know, a, a pat on the head for fathers.
0: Paul Rayburn, the book is Do Fathers Matter? What Science is Telling Us About the Parent We've Overlooked. Paul, I thank you so much for spending time with us today.
1: Jeff, I really appreciate your interest. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.